Good afternoon, and welcome to Keys to Running an Effective IT Shop, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Brad Busick, SVP and CIO at MultiCare Health System, William Walders, CIO and SVP of Operations Support at Health First, and Lacey Williams-Carlson, VP and CIO at Roper St. Francis Healthcare, and then we will have our Q&A. So this is uh, fascinating to me, this topic. I see it as sort of the core of what CIOs do, but not something we talk about too often. So I'm excited. Uh, Brad, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, you bet. Good morning. Good to be with everyone. Uh, MultiCare is located in the Pacific Northwest, uh, about 20,000 uh, or so employees, uh, about four and a half billion uh, in revenue. Um, and I oversee uh, the uh, ISNT function, which here includes clinical informatics, um, you know, tech ed, CI, and part of uh, the, the cool part about this is that it's emerging, uh, and we're um, in a very uh, innovative uh, space um, here in the Pacific Northwest. So we um, get to deal with um, all sorts of cool talent and capabilities, um, whether it's uh, you know asks for you know drone delivery or you know autonomous robots in the in the hospitals. Uh, and there's an appetite here to to say yes to that, which is a lot of uh, a lot of fun. Um, I've been here uh, going on three years uh, and continuing to love the opportunity um, that's uh, in front of us here at Multicare as we continue to grow and expand. Very good, Brad. Thank you, William. Hey, good morning. Uh, equally as <clears throat> excited and welcome to be here, Anthony. Appreciate the opportunity, and and, and particularly the topic. I feel like. We, we talk a lot about transformation and innovation and the bulk of our jobs, uh, admittedly, you know, 90-ish percent is around operations. So glad to talk about that. Um, Chief Information Officer and Senior Vice President of Operations here at Health First. All the IT responsibilities, as well as uh, now all the operations responsibilities, while not germane to this role, I think you see a, a lot, or this panel rather, you see a lot of CIOs gaining those um, supply chain facilities, clinical engineering, if you don't already have it, et cetera. Um, Health First is in Florida, Central Florida to be specific on the Space Coast. The uh, spaceport of the world is six miles from this office in which I sit. And, um, so it's kind of a, geographically we're at. We're a two and a half billion dollar revenue IDN. So payer, um, about 100,000 members at the moment, health plan, hospital division, which is four hospitals that aggregate to about a thousand beds and then a medical group that... Um, there's a couple thousand providers when you count as a growth across the state. So really interesting place to see all aspects of healthcare and excited about the discussion. Very good, William. Thank you. Lacey? Good afternoon uh, to those of you who are on the East Coast. And I also am delighted uh, to join this panel. 
Um, I am the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer for Roper St. Francis, which is a Charleston, South Carolina area health system comprised of four hospitals and about 460 employed physicians and advanced practitioners. Uh, we have about a billion dollar book of business. Um, in that role, I uh, also uh, wear two hats. I continue to um, serve in some capacity for Bon Secours Mercy Health, which is one of the partners in the joint venture that owns uh, Roper St. Francis. And we are currently 10 days away from going live on Epic, uh, moving away from our current very disaggregated, difficult, burdensome, and expensive to support application portfolio to Epic. Very good. Thank you. All right, next question, Brad, we're going to start with you. What are the formal mechanisms for deciding what your department will work on, which I believe we call IT governance, and talk about the relationship between business governance and IT governance. Obviously, the business has to decide out of all the things they can do what they're going to do, and then how do we correlate the IT support that's going to further those business goals. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is, you know, a little art and a little science uh, for us here at MultiCare. Um, what we call um, IT governance uh, oftentimes involves the things that nobody cares about until they break. Um, and so uh, these are the, you know, infrastructure plays, um, increasing storage. You know, as Lacey just mentioned, um, we're, we're an epic shop. So every time we do an acquisition or a joint venture, we have to go increase that capacity. Um, those things just happen and we carve out um, resource capacity to accommodate those um, activities. Uh, when we think about business projects, um, we actually don't necessarily have IT projects. Everything we're doing is driven by the business. And uh, in all of that, we leverage um, an A3 program here that we call kind of a PDSA, where every 90 days, uh, our team is meeting with our business partners in kind of a, a group setting. Uh, so you have you know 60 plus of our closest friends uh, in the room where we're articulating the capabilities we wanna go after, and then the associated projects that might come from that. So for example, if someone said, um, in, in this case, you know, we need a different um, you know, solution for, I'm gonna make it up, data visualization, uh, that behind the scenes might mean we need to go sunset you know, Tableau and the 15 other ways that we visualize data, and Power BI might actually come forward. So we're not actually solving for um, a specific product per se, but we're prioritizing by way of timeline, level of effort, um, risk, uh, those capabilities that are important based on those business needs. Once those are actually um, identified, um, we have uh, a next layer of what I'll call uh, granularity, uh, which we call cult, and it's your clinical operations. So anything that's going to involve patient-facing, um, uh, patient safety um, technology, whether that's secure chat or uh, a collaboration tool on the floor, um, that is dealt with by um, our clinical team. And then in a similar way, we have um, a business operations team that looks at those projects related to Workday and our financial system, things that the doctors don't care about as long as you know, uh, you know, our systems are up and they're functioning. Um, and, and, and oftentimes um, those two tracks will run uh, parallel. There are times when they combine, um, as Will said, when those lines get blurred between uh, quote unquote IT and the business and supply chain has to interact with your, your EMR. Um, 
sometimes then we'll bring Colt and the business team together to have that dialogue. But that's how we do it um, at Multicare, and um, it's been working really well for the last couple of years. Very good. William? Yeah, so we've got a, a focusing event that really uprooted how we govern. So pre-COVID, we had really robust uh, business governance structures and IT governance structures, business around clinical operations, administration, and strategy, really mature governing councils who met weekly, who sat in rooms and postured and positioned around the, the queuing of priorities, projects, and et cetera. There was this, uh, an IT version of that as well that had an intake process with visibility and weeks and months and cases you would uh, get your item in and spit out in the end and some outcome. Um, we realized during COVID, you know, as we're changing registration systems every other week for a couple months, as we're pivoting towards other capabilities that we needed around digital, that we can make these decisions, not just in the IT level, but at every level of business that day, right? Instead of having to wait weeks, we didn't have the weeks to wait. So we've adopted this new idea post-COVID and during COVID to lean out, intentionally use that word lean out, um, our decision-making. So IT in particular has a digital enablement committee. For, in our mind, IT is table stakes. We do those things to you, unfortunately, and many times it's transparent. It's irrelevant. We give you the additional resources. We have a, a, a penalty, if you will, every time a new project comes in that comes with the overhead that IT costs. Um, we get a good slush fund that funds storage and, and all the IT components. So the rest that we're really innovating on or deciding on is, is something to do with digital. Um, so we have a digital enablement committee that's a multidisciplinary team who vets um, all our digital initiatives. We have seven at the moment. We have a product owner of each of those initiatives. They work as part of this committee to prioritize things like the patient room of the future, targeting additional automation, um, all things digital front door. Uh, we've got some very myopic focused things on CRM and other things, but but that's really the front door now and, and only door of IT decision-making. Um, that feeds what is now just one governing structure in the business, our administrative council, um, who then takes our recommendations, codifies them into the, the rest of the organization's priorities. And it's served us well now for the better part of two years. And I don't imagine us changing back to that very structured, very lengthy friction-inducing process of, of business and IT governance. Yeah, I think we'll definitely follow up on that uh, in a little bit because I like the term focusing event. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. But Lacey, let me get your thoughts. Um, I would say that we are fairly uh, similar to what Will described, um, except that we do have a distinct IT steering committee, but it is comprised of uh, mostly uh, the people in the C-suite who would be um, at the helm for all business strategy. It just gives us a, um, a time to focus specifically on IT implications. So happily, um, there's zero friction um, between the overall business strategy and um, what components of that are sort of fueled by IT. Um, we do have robust discussions because it seems that there's always a bigger appetite than there is capacity on our team. Um, so we um, have some forcing functions that we use to prioritize and make decisions about um, if something's um, essential enough to our overall strategic vision that it's worth investing incremental resources in. And I know you have some questions about that uh, coming, Anthony, so I'll stop there. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Next question, William, we're going to start with you. 
How do you make sure you're not taking on more work than your department can handle, such as over-promising and under-delivering or causing burnout, sort of flogging the horses to try and, and get to where the over-promising you've done? How do you ensure you have the ability of the appropriate resources to take on the specific work agreed to in the time agreed to? And what I'm thinking of there is where you maybe have only a few people have a very specific skill. So it's easy to overpromise for that skill, meaning you had extra capacity in other places, but you couldn't do that thing. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, let me be very clear. While my approach will sound prescriptive and panaceic, it, it doesn't always work this way. But <laughs> um, you know, so the very first thing I ever do is take an audit proof accounting of, of my responsibility, you know, in IT in particular, uh, although my background is blurred, you would see a chart behind me that shows every asset in the IT portfolio, right? People, time, and money. Having a clear understanding of what your capability is, that's audit-proof, mind you, really, you know, almost to the penny, almost to the labor hour is the first step. So then when you understand capacity, you can articulate that, again, in an audit-proof manner to your peers at the EVP level who are used to things in that way, right? The CFO with with audits and, and your other peers. When you can speak to them at their level, then they believe you. So when what naturally occurs is... When you want to do a new project, it comes with this many people, this much time, and this much money. Because I can prove that we're maximizing the resources we have. I need the additional resources. Then articulating milestones to that end, we're meeting or not. Uh, and this is where I think you get some variation, right? Is you're doing assessments, you're doing estimates on what it's going to cost, uh, skill sets, you know, and there's always surprises, right? Someone wins the lottery or gets a better offer. Um, I think all of us are probably experiencing vacancy rates we've never seen in prior history. And, and then you just articulate that variation to the plan and you go back and ask for more resources or more time, uh, you know, people, time and money, those three resources. So that's how I've approached it. Um, taking that audit proof approach, articulating that at every time there's a request or being transparent if you can take it out of hide with what resources or you can reprioritize what's lost. That's the best part of our governance structure is we've had, I'll give you payment, for example, was an FY24, having a unified bill and a simple explanation of benefits to our members was a 24 initiative, everybody agreed to it, suddenly became a 22 initiative and we moved reputation management to 24 and everybody understood what that trade-off meant. We left the room with no one unhappy um, because they had faith and confidence that what we had, the resources we had available to us were being consumed. And should we have wanted more? I could have done them both. It would have cost us X million dollars and 40 FTEs, but uh, we made the decision in our governance structure to just move and reprioritize. So step one, the key there is to be able to quantify and articulate exactly the capacity your department has. This is the pie. And here are all the slices that are currently taken. And here's what we have left. And here's what your proposed piece is going to take out of the pie. And here's what it costs. You nailed it. And what's been powerful for me um, and my cohort has seen these, that chart behind me to give it some scale is four feet by nine feet. It's quite a distance across the room. There's not a single EVP in this company who doesn't have a hard copy of that, who doesn't understand what those costs are. And it makes it personal. You get you get an understanding of complexity in the resource allocation. Um, you know, I was for a while querying, carrying that around in a quiver and rolling it out at every board meeting that existed. Um, now they can almost all speak to a chapter and verse and uh, probably more organized from a business unit and more widely understood across the boardroom table than, than any other department. And, and as you go a little more, as you said, 
the the size of the pie changes, right? People leave. Okay, so that pie just shrunk now. Um, someone went out on maternity leave. The pie shrunk for a certain amount of time, but it'll flex back after a certain amount of time. So you almost want to have that in real time changing. Right. And my my other question is, can you always buy your way out of a problem? Can you always purchase no. more capacity? Because what if you can't get the people? Yeah, I mean, it, I'm having a, and I can't share examples at the moment but under NDA and a partner who's publicly traded, but you can't have nine women and be pregnant for one month each and, and deliver a baby. Right. I mean, that's, that analogy holds true in some of these scenarios. Um, so, you know, I have a very similar story now that a lot of these things take time to cook. Um, they have to be done in series as opposed to in parallel. And um, you know, you get problematic. I mean, we're at a 12% vacancy rate at the moment. So naively I'm 12% less productive and being able to articulate that weekly in every forum, either, the, the high level meeting or my operations meetings is, is everybody understands what, what we're now capable of. And there's no speculation and perception issues around um, why aren't you delivering, right? Very good, Lacey. Um, Will, I was, I was drooling at what you described and in reality, we have something similar. And I think there's sort of um, the data-driven conversation that you have in an organization and then also the political and will conversation that you have. So um, I don't know about some of your physicians and executives, they're not always fully swayed um, by some of that data um, and logic. And I, I find inevitably that the appetite for things um, for IT to deliver and accomplish is, is bigger than the capacity. Um, and, and so I would say in addition to the science which will um, explain, I think there's also an art um, and that involves compromise and being able to speak the language of business and not necessarily IT capacity per se. Um, I, um, I think my team would say she has never not taken on more work than we can handle, right? <laughs> We somehow figure out how to deliver and make compromises and continually reprioritize. Yeah. So there's a lot of art to it, Lacey, is what you're saying. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of subtlety. Um, I'm imagining there's times and situations and individuals that, you know, no doesn't really work with. It's not going to go over well. So... Right. I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's any more you want to add there, Lacey, or we'll go to Brad. No, go ahead and go to Brad. Okay. I would like to weigh in on the how do you say well, no part, though. Yes, <laughs> we do have a question about that. Brad, this is very interesting, right? So William's talking about, uh, and I'm sure there's subtleties to what he's doing, but he articulated a very uh, quantifiable approach, which I like. I like his approach. Uh, Lacey brought up some great points about some subtleties and nuances that have to be around that and maybe soften it a little bit uh, to be an effective executive. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, it's it's the Goldilocks, um, you know, too hot, <laughs> too too cold and, um, you know, just right. I, I would say um, to your previous question, Anthony, one, I've, I've never met a president or CEO that wants their CIO to be this, the, you know, CIO. Um, and so if our board decides that we're gonna go acquire a system in Eastern Washington, I don't know that he cares that I've got a data center migration on the docket, go figure it out. And so I agree with William that while I can't buy my way out of it, what, what William and I think Lacey both articulated well is, uh, is frankly the relationship. 
like they actually trust William when he goes and rounds and says, look, this is, uh, this is how we think about our assets and this is what it costs um, to go do this work. And so, you know, the word trade-off was mentioned and um, we take a very similar approach at uh, Multicare, particularly around capacity. Um, to Lacey's point, does that mean that uh, everybody believes in the capacity? Uh, I think people believe the data that they want that supports their narrative. And so if my boss decides that um, we can go find another PM to go manage Workday Phase 2 because she wants a certain feature to come forward, I'm going to be on the hunt for a project manager for Workday Phase 2. But with some integrity, I can actually support our capacity with data. Uh, and if we don't plan everyone at 110%, I can also surge for the known unknowns. And, and in my last three years here at Multicare, uh, because of our aggressive um, growth strategy, uh, it's been really wise to plan for that capacity um, and leave room for people to be able to surge to go support uh, those um, you know, emerging opportunities. So we take a, a very, very similar uh, approach um, that, that you know, William uh, mentioned um, and everything track, is tracked for us in our PPM tool. We track that time for capital reasons um, as well as audit reasons, um, but it's also helpful for us to know how long does it take for us to go stand up a new um, a new site? How long does it take to go roll out Epic at a, a 200 bed hospital? I want to know that data so that I can get better with our own playbook um, every time we have to go rinse and repeat. Very good. All right. Next question. Um, we're going to start with Lacey on this one. Uh, fires happen, but if they happen too often, workers will become frustrated with continually having to drop what they're working on and move to something else. That's my hypothesis there, <laughs> as it has the effect of making the work feel undervalued. You know, it's just a fact, right? Somebody's really working hard on something. You say, oh, forget that. They say, well, what? Right. So it, it's deflating. So um, how do you avoid that, Lacey, as much as possible? You know, it's interesting. Um, the organization where I am now actually had a history of this happening quite a bit um, before I joined. And you have to understand what is the, this is a symptom. What is it a symptom of, right? In our case, it was a symptom of zero governance and also under investing in infrastructure. So, you know, if you literally don't have connectivity or systems that are um, whose performance is unsustainable uh, from a clinical perspective, that is always the fire that trumps everything else. Right. So the first thing you have to do, um, I think, is if fires are continually happening, have a good, honest, introspective look across your organization and understand why. In my case, when I uh, joined the organization, um, the C-suite and the board knew um, things were going terribly wrong, um, but I, I think there was a um, desire to lay that firmly at the feet of IT, and instead we had an honest conversation about this lack of prioritization and constant pivoting that the C-suite was doing. You, C-suite, own part of the um, fires that are occurring, and we need to get our own house in order before we can um, have a high-performing IT team. Excellent point. A great story, uh, Brad. Yeah, this is um, uh, this is a known unknown for us, uh, and fires for us, uh, we plan for them. I I think they only become fires when you don't plan. And uh, again, um, 
change, I think for us has been a constant. And so we know out of the gate that uh, we're going to have technical debt remediation. We're also gonna have a really aggressive uh, M&A strategy. So can we plan our work around that so that they're not fires? Um, it doesn't mean that the staff doesn't you know, go, wow, here we go again. But I'll say that that, that pain is remediated uh, if we have a playbook to operate. Like I'm cool having problems. I just don't wanna see the same problem over and over and over again. So if we can solve for that and, and shine some light on the areas that become part of the rinse and repeat, um, I think we, we get a better outcome and the team feels more prepared to handle the, the fire. Very good, William. Yeah, uh, everything's been said, but not everybody's had a chance to say it. So I'll kind of start with my own unique thing, culture, right? Again, understanding, uh, I don't think you had to, COVID, second time I've mentioned, I'm trying not to mention as much in panels and things, but you didn't have to convince many IT workers to respond to the fire of, of you know, a once in a century pandemic, right? It's the, it's the reason they come to work. It's the mission of healthcare. Uh, in Brad's world, they could go work at any of those tech providers that he can look on the horizon and see those tall buildings, logos on them, uh, but they choose to go to the health system because of the mission. So, so that's on some of the bigger ones uh, around the planning aspect of that. I spent 22 years in the military. I, I had a pandemic plan and a meteor strike plan and a volcanic eruption plan for their, and an earthquake plan for Florida, right? So plan, plan, plan to Brad's point. Um, you know, and we have hurricane plan that unfortunately we have to use almost every year. So you plan for those things and it's more disruptive. And again, with the restating uh, around the governance front, uh, you understand what levers you have to pull and, and push, turn things off and on. Uh, and everybody widely adopts that methodology and what you're going to lose and the interest of what you're going to gain. It's understood. Kind of back to the original theme of the CI know or the idea of spreading your staff too thin. There were seven CIOs in 10 years before I got here, um, not speaking disparagingly of them, but they never said no, uh -huh. they said yes. And the expectations were everyone they said yes to would get the thing they said yes about as opposed, and then wondered why it never came, right? Um, so there, there is a balance. Um, we always like to say yes, but, and yes, and. Um, and that's kind of, yes, but I need people, time and money. Yes, and uh, competing priorities, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that's, and the inevitability, they will occur. I mean, it's going to happen. It's something it's going to be uh, labor now, inflation, supply chain, you know, probably in the next 18 months. Um, who knows, right? Maybe more and more of these things are getting plowed upon us. And hopefully there's an end in sight where we can get back to the old normal. So, William, it's, it, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, in, in ways I think about the effectiveness or the quality of a CIO being the way they handle that balance, the way they handle the need to protect, and this is the way I think of it, to protect their team. That's what you're doing when you say, no, you're protecting your team uh, versus managing up and saying yes, right? So that those two are at conflict. They're at odds. And the art comes in knowing when, how, to whom to say no, right? Because there are some times when your pie thing goes out the window because of who's be asking and what they're asking, Okay, sure. Forget my pie. But as often as you can, you have to leverage that pie example in order to justify and know to protect your team. Does that make sense? It does. And I guess we often talk about who the CIO reports to and what your peers look like. And I think this is what's essential to prove yourself, as Lacey said, around being that peer at the table with some of these leaders who then understand it. If you're conveying this story second or third hand through a COO, CFO, it's not understood that 
hey, hospital division, I understand your piece of the pie is important and it's your number one priority. It's my number four behind two health plan initiatives and a medical group initiative, right? And they get that because you're at the boardroom and everybody else is surviving these problems. I think you lose the message a little via the medium if you're not at the table, unfortunately. And then I'll also counter that in my three years here, I've hired 100 FTEs, which is roughly 106 to be technical, is about a 50% increase in staff. I can assure you there's not a single staff member who still doesn't think that um, they're overworked and we have more <laughs> and we have more uh, more work than opportunity. But so there's some reality check there too, that that data helps deliver to them as, you know, here's how it works. Here's how I understand. You know, I've never said no to additional FTE headcount and still haven't, but I haven't gotten an FTE request in a better part of four months uh, net new, you know, so that would tell me the leaders think they've got enough people, um, you know, and we're taking on additional work. Very good. All right. The next question is sort of uh, in line with what we were saying. Sometimes you have to say either no, not now, or not exactly what you wanted. And um, usually CIOs will say it's it's going to be a version of those latter two, never a straight no. Um, what's your advice for telling influential users things they don't necessarily want to hear? Brad? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So we actually have adopted a, a yes and um, approach here, and that sounds uh, silly, but um, it's it's very true. Uh, back to the very um, first question you asked, Anthony. Um, if I've done my job right, uh, I actually don't have to say uh, yes or no, because frankly, it's not my uh, decision. I have a voice at the table and input. My business partners are sitting there on the table arguing with each other, and they can determine if it's a medical group priority, if it's a healthcare system strategy that we're going to go put in first place or second, I'm going to go execute those flawlessly regardless of the outcome. Um, and do I have an opinion on those? Sure. Uh, but to the previous comments, um, I may not have the talent to go stand up something that they need to go, um, they want as a number one priority, which means that the timeline for that might shift so that I can go bring that talent to bear up to support that initiative. Um, now, that's at the strategic level. Uh, and just last night, I got a note that said, hey, can you go create, you know, a, a, an email account before this person starts, uh, because we need to go set their calendar up to give meetings. And that's outside of our policy. Um, by the way, that answer is going to be a hard no. Uh, and so the yes and for that behind the scenes will be, why don't we actually wait until this person hits new or new employee orientation? Because we found that, you know, typically when we do this, people submit five plus tickets because they're confused on their onboarding and how they, you know, in, integrate with multi-care. So let's do everybody a favor and follow the process. So that's that's how we typically deal with it. Very good, William. So there's going to be the privileged few. I think you call them influential users. Yeah. Um, the rainmakers, if you will, that orthopedic mm -hmm. surgeon, that spine surgeon who uh, you're going to do everything in your power. Uh, I know them by name, <laughs> you know, as we have 15,000 associates and partners, uh, you know, there's a handful. So excluding them, yes. where we, you know, uh, where we bend over backwards, cater to absurd needs because the ROI is there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's true. You're it's the fact. Yeah, you know, uh, they're going to do the things that uh, and will cater to them to keep their business and avoid them from going to competitor, et cetera. Um, you know, it's it's kind of back to what I said is my book of business is widely known by my peers at the table. Um, at any point, I joke, I can run IT with one person. Uh, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. I could tell you what that looks like. And that person could be me or it could be anyone. Right. But uh, or any variation therein. 
And so, you know, as we have competing resources and you know, forced to say no, um, and I can't from a large level project perspective outside of ERP, uh, and I cringe when I heard Brad say he's in phase two of an ERP provider at the moment, uh, and a kind of a long-term vision for EHR, we don't have the epics and Cerners from an HR perspective. What I did was I said, no, but no, but uh, if, and I know our financials, I need 60 million in five years and 45 FTEs for an ERP, or I need 120 million in five years and about hundred FTEs for an HR. Um, happy to enter that journey with anyone. I will also not be the CIO when that journey starts um, because, you know, the platform and portfolio that I have and understand, I think is the best approach to how we deliver healthcare IT strategically. Um, you know, and there's a version, that's why I'm here. There's a version of the story and very candid about that, that um, we could consider that uh, I don't support. <laughs> so not to hold my ground there, but I just don't think it's the best use of hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Very interesting. Very interesting. Lacey? Um, I loved uh, Brad's comment about if you're doing your job right, you're not actually often the person saying no. Um, so I can uh, share a story about that. Um, I actually say no often, and it and it's a business discussion, not a technical one, and often not even a capacity one. Um, I'm a big believer in early on when you're establishing IT governance or business governance, for that matter, um, in very intentionally creating guiding principles and working hard on them. And they should not be motherhood and apple pie platitudes. They should be, we always value work in this space over this space, you know, so you know what your North stars are. Um, so often when I say no, I'm pointing back to our guiding principles. And then the conversation is, we all agreed to why I'm saying no. If that's not the right answer right now, then let's go back to our guiding principles and figure out what they should be and update them. And then the anecdotal story I can share is um, as we're implementing Epic, one of the guiding principles around that implementation was that we would do everything in our power to avoid throwaway work unless there was an extraordinary value proposition. And then we said how we would define that. So I found that I was arriving in meetings and people were saying, we have this huge problem right now in Cerner and here's the consequence, but we can't fix that because and I was like, no guys, actually we can fix that one. That's that's not a big lean in, we, we could do that. So um, maybe they took it a little bit too much at heart, but um, I think a C, an effective CIO has to say no and has to understand the art of how to do that. That's a great point, very good. All right, next question. William, we're going to start with you. It sounds like a simple question, but I think it's a big deal. <laughs> how do you, and this will, will feed into other questions. How do you track work being done? How do you know what's where, what's happening? So you can explain, as we talked about, the key is the pie, telling people about the pie, how the pie's cut up, what if they want a slice. And oh, by the way, here are the things going on right now. Yeah, so I'm going to steal Brad's answer because we use the exact same tool. I heard him reference it earlier. Um, so we use a, a portfolio tool that tracks resources, people, time, and money, right? Um, you know, and this is how I could tell you we're also 17% more productive as we all went remote, which is a good story. And in measures that you would normally understood in the IT world around tickets, around queue lengths, around productivity scores, around satisfiers. So we use a tool. Um, we attrite, it's PPM as well. Uh, we attrite every... Um, resource you can. It's it's laborious. It was poorly adopted initially until people 
recognize we make decisions based off of it. If mm-hmm. you tell me, and I have a heat map, I look at every MOR around two things, um, what your hours were in PPM. And I know that, you know, if it's more than 2000 in an annual view or a 12th of that in a monthly view, or, if, uh, you know, 52nd of that in a weekly view that we're over burning you, you're over committing to a project. And we, and we use these levers and data again, I guess my theme here is <laughs> actionable data sets to then hire more people. And they watch that occur. Right. If I properly report and account for my time um, and it passes a sniff test, we, you know, we don't, I always joke, I was in the Navy as a naval officer, don't lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. We don't hire people who lie, cheat, or steal. They put an honest day's work and an honest answer into these tools. Um, you know, and we act on that. So that's how we track it. Uh, as simple as that is, there's some softer sides of this. You know, you're not going to account for everything. Uh, it's really telling when our administrative bucket especially certain times of the year, like now with end of year closeout with employee reviews with annual training. I was the first to ever escalate that. I think our administrative burden one is too high and two needs to be spread out over the calendar, right? When you first start documenting some of those things, you're, it's really telling what you can could identify and what decisions could be made. Uh, so I think a big takeaway there from what you said is that tools can be great and helpful, but they're only as good as the data that's put into them. So you could have a fantastic tool if people aren't taking the time on the front end to feed the data into it, it's not going to be very useful. And everyone's going to know that and then it won't be used. And it's again, auto proof. We, we then charge back lines of business for time given or lines of accounting for partners and other, and other areas of uh, what our health system does. Very good, Lacey. I really can improve on Wills and Brad's answers. I think you just have to have an effective portfolio management tool, track your time, and report out accordingly. Okay, very good. Brad, anything you want to add there? Other than what Will mentioned in terms of uh, the example of kind of the annual um, burden that it, it, you know administration oftentimes can layer on, the fact that, again, I'll, I'll use the title, the CIO was able to come forward and have that dialogue I guarantee his colleagues were like, thank God, like somebody came to the table with data. It wasn't just, you know, Williams dashing looks or his opinion, but he basically said, look, <laughs> I've got data to support the opinion. And by the way, everybody, I'm, I, I don't know what the outcome was, William, but I'm, I'm sure your colleagues were like, he's right. And changes were made. That's influence. Like when you can actually make that, that change and have it be data driven and not emotional, um, that's that's what's exciting. And I think if that can be replicated, it, it makes for a pretty powerful partnership between IT and the business. And Brad, I think that's what you mentioned before, the idea of trust, right? You, you, you come in as a CIO, uh, you need to establish that trust and credibility. One way you can do that is through data, having data, showing it, and then it's going to be poked and questioned, right? And it's got to stand up because if you come in with slides and data, and there's a very smart people you're talking to, and they say, oh, slide 15 doesn't match what was on slide three. Boom, you're done. You're done. Yeah, it's a show me, don't tell me. I mean, I think it's, you know, in, in the example that was brought up earlier for places that have had high turnover of CIOs, um, or and frankly, any IT leadership, um, the data can say uh, that everything's green. If you've got a track record of not executing, um, it doesn't really matter what the slides say. Um, but if you're executing and you've got, trust with your partner. And by the way, the data also supports, hey, I need two FTEs or I'm going to need $3 million for this. That that dialogue is very different um, than it would be in the absence of the, uh, those artifacts. Very good. All right. Next question. Lacey, we're going to start with you. How do you communicate your department's capacity versus work produced to the relevant users? 
Are work and value the same thing? And if not, how do you describe the value produced? Um, Mike Restuccia over at uh, Penn, um, he had a big report that that he showed me that that we talked about in one of the webinars that he, IT produced this big report to give to the business to say, hey, look at all the stuff we've done. It had a lot of data in it, a lot of charts and things like that. So that's kind of what I'm talking about is demonstrating, hey, look at all the stuff we did. So they just don't think it's a black hole where all these resources go in. And, and maybe from their one point of view, they didn't see a lot come out, but we did a tremendous amount of stuff. And, and then there's the infrastructure things that people don't think about. So your thoughts, Lacey? Um, I love that idea of producing an annual report. Um, I'm in the situation right now where when you're doing a big enterprise-wide implementation, and so guys, we're doing Workday and Epic at the same time, so not, <laughs> not for the faint of heart. Um, it's pretty evident what your, what your uh, value proposition is, but I would say that actually work and value are not the same thing. Um, because perceived value to executives doesn't correlate at all in some areas with work. I think a great example of that is cybersecurity, right? So perceived value is keep me out of the newspapers, keep me up, keep me away from events, especially reportable events, right? And um, so, but that is not correlated with expenditures, work, focus, etc. So, um, I think you have to be able to tell your, your story, again, in business terms and not necessarily I'm spending uh, X hours doing that. The unfortunate reality for us is that there's some things that are just expectations and you will get zero awards for getting them done right. They can only get you fired. <laughs> very good. Very true and very good. Brad? Yeah, uh, in a similar way, um, not only do we produce... Um, the annual report that articulates uh, the recap and is a cool way to, I think, highlight some of the, the celebrations that, mm -hmm. um, again, in the course of a year, so much happens. Uh, and more so for my staff than maybe my business partners, I want them to have that spotlight of a capability that um, we delivered uh, on behalf of, of the system. Back to those PDSAs, uh, we will um, clearly, uh, on a 90-day basis, have the owner of that business capability stand up and say, we're on track, we're behind, we need more money. And then the study and adjust is, is hammered out right on the floor because those uh, stakeholders are, are standing there. And so that's the time you might say, hey, I'm short, I'm gonna make this up, three DBAs, I need to go to market, or you know, I'm sorry, we're competing with Microsoft for the same uh, Azure resources that you need and that's gonna need to get punted. Uh, and so that, that happens um, every 90 days, so it's not a mystery to anyone about our capacity, what's in flight, and what um, what is behind. William, I'm a math guy, so you know value equals quality plus service divided by cost, right? Um, value is what you're solving for. Cost is known. Quality and service are subjective. Uh, so how do you measure that subjectivity? Um, you use tools like we've discussed. You know what's a widget in IT? How do I measure that? But I'll be very candid, it's entirely based off perception. Uh, IT rides a razor's edge of perception and also often doesn't take much to knock you off. So, so what do you do to prevent that? You, you round, you understand the business, you articulate milestones, you deliver uh, to the, the point that two panelists made before me. You celebrate the contributions, I call them, not, you know, not victories, not 
what we did well, but the true contributions to the organization, I visualize those in a, in a different way. It's actually a chart, no different than this one, than arcs around lines of business, um, not in an annual report. Um, and so, you know, just having that advocacy, keeping perception high, addressing it when um, perception is low, IT is a black hole, whatever, you know, uh, hyperbole that you hear, getting ahead of that, solving that problem and quickly uh, keeps your quality and service score high, thus um, rendering a higher value score in relation to cost. All right, very good. Time for my favorite part of the program. Uh, so I want to make sure we get this in. Uh, ask a co-panelist. So Brad, I'm going to let you go first. Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Uh, for both. Um, and we'll start with uh, William. William, the great resignation, fact or fiction? It's definitely fact. Um, and I, not a resignation. I think people naturally think that I've resigned. I'm going to retire. I'm going to retreat back to my villa. It's people are leaving for more money. Um, and we've leveled the playing field. Uh, I, while we, you and I have both made remarks around where you're located in the world and having competed in that market, super relevant because you drive by those buildings. Not anymore, right? I could work for Amazon, Microsoft, any of those healthcare companies in Seattle or Silicon Valley from rural Florida. Uh, and in fact, I've lost associates to that end. Um, so definitely real. I'm optimistic, but for the wrong reasons that the headwinds of that are being checked by inflation, uh, by retraction of the markets, uh, by layoffs that we're seeing some of our peers do, and a good leader will uh, get ahead of that. Uh, if any of you have lost a job or are listening to this either now or in the future, reach out to me. <laughs> I've got 40 uh, IT vacancies and 20 supply chain vacancies that I'm desperately hiring at the moment. So definitely a fact, Brad. Lacey? Yeah, I, I agree. Um in some ways, my decision um, to move to this role um, is kind of correlated to the great resignation. I think um, a lot of us had a, choice, uh, a chance to sort of pause about why do we do the work we do and what is important to us. And quite frankly, for some of us, what is important to us might be if I'm doing this work, I'm going to the, the most profitable place to do it, especially if I don't have to move any longer. Um, for some of us, as you were saying, Brad, um, you can compete well against uh, all of the FANG folks in your neck of the woods, and it's because of your mission. So it's, it is not a myth. And um, if you don't like uh, what you see when you go to look at Will's shop, then please take a look at ours. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right, Lacey, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Um, another, is this overhyped or reality? So it seems that every other uh, webinar you hear about in healthcare right now is to pivot to digital. Is that what you hear in your C-suite and is it overhyped? Uh, I got off the mic first, Brad, so I'll go. Um, <laughs> I think it, we've been rebranded. We've been doing digital a very long time. Um, so is, are you using IT tools and methodologies to drive a strategic focus around consumerism, like the digital giants are doing, um, providing a better experience than absolutely, right? I think we're being looked to 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 be positioning the technology first, which in some ways is good, but in some other ways bad. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to articulate what that means, define digital, and there's a definition that NIST has if you need one, but that it's irrelevant to your leadership, but define what digital means to your health system. And we've got a clear criteria for that and a roadmap to that end, um, which I hate. It looks like a, a NASCAR slide, you know, logos of solutions to 
provider reputation and registration and you know, data aggregation, all these things, but it tells a story as to what digital requirements are and then what solutions could solve it should we opt for a digital one. So I think it it's real. It's just translating like good CIOs do, hype, IT speak, and reality to business. Brad? Yeah, similarly, if my business partners want to call it digital transformation, and it's the same work we've been doing for the last three plus years here, um, they can call it whatever they'd like to call it to be able to sell it to their uh, group of stakeholders in the clinic or at the hospital. So um, uh, like the hype, it feels analogous to you know big data um, and whatever the latest flavor of that is. But um, to me, it's the same. It's the same work. Very good. All right, William, a question for one or both of your co-panelists. Yeah, I've got an independent question for each. Uh, we'll start with Brad. So I have the, I guess the great benefit of not having a merger and acquisition strategy like you do, um, we take our acquisitions strategically with kind of just indifferent, right? I'm not, we're not buying hospitals. So how do you deal with having your application portfolio flipped on its head as you acquire a system with your current model? Um, yeah, I had uh, I had a beautiful lock of hair before we started this work, <laughs> um, and and I think uh, what's been really interesting is uh, it's analogous to the work that I think all of us would do when you come into a system, just as a new leader. You do a portfolio application inventory. You look at your skills and your talents, etc. It, it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, if I go look at you know Walters Inc., the first thing I'm going to do is meet with uh, that staff as part of due diligence. We look at everything that they currently have said yes to. And depending on the type of uh, agreement, whether it's an acquisition or a membership substitution, or if it's just a joint venture, those all have different playbooks. And some of that, um, I inherit that technical debt. Some of it, I'm supporting it. And some of it, I'm gutting. And so it all uh, feels a little bit different. The cool part has been to come up with those cost models and those playbooks that account for that work. Uh, so if I see Sunquest um, in, in the last you know, eight places, and we know how to do that well, and um, they don't have SunQuest, we might move them to that. Or if we know that they have something that's compatible, we might just integrate it. And so it's been a really um, cool opportunity for our team to, to build it together uh, in the absence of having you know, one of the big five firms come in and do it for us. Um, we've used it as an opportunity to sharpen our own um, tool set internally uh, and do it as a, as a team. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, and we're, um, we've just got a lot more of that over the next couple of years. Yeah. You're a special kind of CIO where that's fun uh, for you. So, <laughs> so awesome. Uh, Lacey, I know the Charleston market well, Carolinas, MUSC in your backyard, others, highly competitive. Your guys are competing for market share. You could take any approach to answering this, either from a business or IT perspective. But but how do you differentiate yourself from a system, from an IT shop, from, from who you are when you have a very saturated market of, of competitors or equivalents? Hmm. I, I guess I'll answer that as a system. Um, we enjoy having um, the highest market share in the market in which we serve. And um, I have a long history of being in Catholic healthcare, and um, we still have an affiliation with Catholic healthcare, but I think it's a lot um, to do with our mission and why people come to work every day um, that differentiates us. Um, I actually had my head wrapped around your question to Brad about uh, mergers and acquisitions, because having come from Bon Secours Mercy, and that's why we're here, because we increased our ownership stake in this market. I also loved um, M&A, and I think you have to have a working hypothesis about um, what your portfolio will look like, and then you need to pressure test that. 
in every market in which you go. Um, actually, um, not to name vendors, but um, we're currently with the vendor that's the, the biggest vendor that's not Epic. And if you had asked me coming into this market, if I thought we would have pivoted to Epic, I, I wouldn't have thought so, right? I thought there would be a good um, reason not to do that. And yet, um, when you look at economies of consistency across um, the footprint of Bon Secours Mercy, it ended up making sense otherwise. Whereas when we went into Ireland in Bon Secours Mercy, it totally didn't make sense. Um, that hypothesis fell apart quickly. Um, that has a lot to do with how care is delivered there um, and the penetration of EMRs versus um, plunking our portfolio down. But I'm with Brad. I, I think M&A is a lot of fun. You got to have a strong playbook and um, but also be willing to pressure test your hypothesis going in. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Floor is yours again. Uh, all right. We have uh, only a couple minutes left. I want to give everyone 30 seconds or less uh, to give an answer to this final question. So I'm thinking uh, IT governance is the most important thing to being an effective CIO or one of the most important things. What would uh, you're talking to your colleagues out there and they feel like it, it's, it's not right. The governance they have is not working um, maybe your top suggestion for what your governance needs to look like. What's maybe either the one indication that your governance is not going to work, that it's screwed up, or the most important thing to have as part of your governance? Um, so let's make that the final question. Lacey? I think if, um, and it, it was either Brad or Will who said this earlier, if you're not saying no, then your governance isn't right. Uh, and it may not be you yourself who's right. saying it, but if you aren't discerning and making hard decisions, then you don't have an effective governance model. Very good, Brad. Yeah, I'd say if you pressure test uh, the thinking and you ask your colleagues, um, where's our portfolio? What's actively being worked? What are our top you know, five initiatives? If, if the answer to those questions are um, never seen it, I'm not sure, <laughs> and can you email it to me? You have a very different problem, and uh, and so um, can you partner with uh, someone else in the business to to put governance forward? Um, I, I think CIOs far too often admire those problems, and we hope that someone else is going to put forward governance. Go go co-create it. Go do it with your business partners uh, and get a and get a better outcome. William, last word. Everything Brad and Lacey said, that's unfortunate. I was going to say transparency, visualization in the process, testing it to see if it's effective, get back to that perception issue. But this all distills down to being brilliant at the basics in regards to all, all IT operations. If you can't do the fundamentals of basic blocking and tackling at a brilliant level, not a mediocre or average, mm -hmm. like brilliant at those basics, uh, you're, you're not going to be in your job long <laughs> um, or you're certainly going to be struggling. So that, that applies to, to governance for all the reasons just described. I love that. I always used to, while we hate badge things, you know, I used to put uh, the top three things on the back of a badge from an IT perspective, akin to joint commission or any of the other audit things that we do. I should be able to talk to any one of the 300 IT associates and say, what are the top three priorities? Um, and, and they should know them, right? And so should most people working the lines of business. So being able to communicate that to lower perception and increase transparency is what I'd say. Well, wow. Fantastic discussion. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck uh, for your CEU needs. You'll get an email when the on-demand 
recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank this tremendous panel, tremendous discussion, Brad Busick, William Walters, and Lacey Williams-Carlson. I want to thank our attendees for joining us. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.